I would just encourage you to make sure that we make much of Christ every Sunday. And not just for this series, but whenever you hear someone preaching, make sure that they are, are making much of Christ. Um, this morning, my wife asked me what game we were going to play during my sermon today. Yeah, I remember the last time I preached, I talked about Mario. And so I was, you know, that's what she said. And I'm like, I don't, that's not what I do every time I preach. I don't talk about games. I don't. How many of y'all seen the Chappelle show? (laughs) Raise your hands. This is a serious question. All right, you can put them down. Chappelle's show, he, uh, Dave Chappelle, he does what I think that uh, good comedians do well, right? So he takes issues that are commonly talked about, and he makes jokes out of them, and it's absolutely amazing. And this one skit, um, he did one about Tupac. Now, if you don't know, there has been a longing uh, conspiracy theory that Tupac is not dead, yet he is alive. Sounds like Jesus, right? (laughs) That's not a conspiracy. But the belief is that he is alive. So one day, Dave Chappelle, I take my ring off when I play bass. Let me put this back on before I get in trouble. Uh, (laughs) So one day, uh, Dave Chappelle is in in this club, and there is music that's playing. And of course, you know, this is Tupac is dead already. Uh, And in this sketch, as Tupac is rapping, current, he's talking about current issues that's going on in the, in, the, in the world right now. Nick, you know what I'm talking about. You got that, that little grin like, you know, I know, I know where you're going with this. And so, for example, um, he's rapping and he says, um, he's talking to a girl, you know, who's at the club. And he says, um, and if you hit this record, if you hit this table one, one more time, then this record might skip. And then she hits it. And then so it says, and if you hit this table one more time, then this record might skip, might skip. I told you, stop hitting the table, right? So it's like current issues that's going on. And so it's kind of weird because as he's saying things, people are looking around like, this stuff is happening now. How does he know about this stuff? Well, I said all that to say, that's kind of how it is when you read through the book of Isaiah, right? So there are things that have happened already that... Um, Isaiah was written about 700 to 800 years, or the, the, the events that were going on there were 700 to 800 years before Jesus actually hit the scene. But he's talking about Jesus in a way where you cannot deny that it's Jesus. Y'all see my comparison analogy? I just don't like to talk about stuff that I like. It makes sense, right? It goes with it. So that's kind of given us a, a, a framework in how we look at the book of Isaiah. So it's a wonderful book. It's kind of it's kind of creepy in the sense that you know this stuff is happening. I mean that in the most God honoring way. That is that is somewhat strange, but nevertheless it's accurate. All right. So as we know, the Bible is not filled with only heroes, but it has villains in it as well. Right. And this is a this is a good thing because one thing that I hear often about the Bible is that there are some things in the Bible that are prescribed. 
So these are uh, lessons that we should take away from it. These are things that, that we should uh, do our best to imitate and duplicate. And there are some things that are in the Bible that are described, right? So we have to remember that these were actual events that happened. These people actually existed, all right? So we have uh, a lot of wonderful mothers in our church, and we thank God for our mothers. Matter of fact, give the mothers a hand. Praise God. Now imagine, we're going to rewind to the ancient world and, and, and to the time of uh, when the book of Isaiah was written. Remember, actual events that happened, real people that actually existed. One thing that was popular during this time was sacrifices and worshiping pagan gods. Now, there are people who talk about this stuff today, like they're worshiping a pagan god, and, you know, but it, it was much more obvious then, right? So imagine this. You're in a, in a village, and you have been called and summoned by the king to go to a sacrifice. This isn't anything new. You've seen it before, and you somewhat know what to expect when you go to the sacrifice. So you go up on the hill, and you see everyone there, and there's a fire that's there, and they actually take some stuff. Um, so, for example, when we were in Scotland, they, they have a celebration there um, to where they just set things on fire, and, and it's uh, to honor this guy who revolted against the, um, the government. And so they I'm talking about, we were leaving from the church, and this guy was literally, like, dragging a sofa on his back, and, and taking it to the fire. Like, seriously, no joke. And so that's an example of what I'm talking about, of how they would start the fire during Isaiah's days. So they would start a fire, and, you, and you're sitting there, and you, you're holding your you. You're holding your son tight, just like you're doing right now. And then the king calls and says, I want that one. And his responsibility and his job is to run through the fire and if he, he's told that if he doesn't make it through the fire, that he would die. Now, here's the thing. There is no way that he's going to make it through the fire. The king did this as a sacrifice to the god, pagan god Molech. It was the practice during this day. The king that I'm talking about, his name is Ahaz. And he was a terrible king. One of the worst kings, if not the worst king that we see in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, it's even recorded in the scriptures that his son was giving as tribute to this practice. And this one of his sons uh, is Hezekiah, who went on to be king and who was a good king. So this king was, his, his reign was filled with, with tyranny. He made these sacrifices um, arguably the worst king of Judah, and he made the sacrifices to uh, gain prosperity. So I'm setting all of us up for what's going on now. So Assyria is going around threatening other countries, and they're going around uh, threatening other nations and taking over them, conquering them, enslaving, killing, just everything that you can think of when you think about a nation taking over another nation. And so Judah who is ran by King, um, that's ran by King Ahaz, uh, Syria and Israel are asking Ahaz to join this coalition 
so that they could fight against Assyria, right? So King Ahaz, he's thinking about it. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go make a deal with Assyria myself so that we may be protected. Here's the thing. God, through Isaiah, spoke to King Ahaz and said, I'm going to protect you. And Ahaz still said, I'm good. God said, put me to the test, and I will give you a sign that this is me talking to you, and I will protect you. And Ahaz said, no, I will not test the Lord. Now, this sounds amazing, because we know in scriptures that it's commanded, do not test the Lord your God. It sounds amazing, but for Ahaz, it's not amazing. Because he is not trusting in God, but trusting in what he can do himself. So he goes and he cuts a deal with the king of Assyria, actually uses uh, treasures and money from the house of God to pay him off, only to be oppressed by Assyria. Foolishness. And yet Ahaz was a, a wise and a clever guy, but when it came to making decisions that were godly, he was completely off. So this resulted in Judah being oppressed. It was, it was, it was gloomy for them spiritually, and this is where we're going to dive off into our text today in Isaiah 9. Cool? All right. If you could turn to Isaiah 9, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. I should have already said this. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. No one needs a Bible. Oh, okay, one person needs a Bible. Um, so Isaiah 9, and uh, of course, feel free to go back and read, but I'm going to be uh, reading verses 1 through 7, and it says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he, made, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, broken as on the day of Midian, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him coming into this world, invading time, coming into our space, and making a way for us to know you. I pray that we won't take this lightly, and I pray that we will leave here challenged uh, and most of all encouraged with belief in Jesus. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In chapter 9, like I said, it starts off with a spiritual gloom. Uh, the remnant, which are those people who uh, 
small amount of people who are still trusting in God have been oppressed, they have been depressed, and spiritually, uh, they just feel that there is no hope. They feel completely hopeless. So in those first three verses, uh, what, what's being discussed here is the hope, the future hope, and it's being described in the first three verses. And four through seven, it's explained in verses six through seven. It talks about the king and his rule. If I were to title this sermon today, it would be Wonderful Counselor, of course, but then it would be the tale of two kings, right? Because what we're talking about here is another king who is coming. So everything that's said right here is pretty much a slap in the face to Ahaz because he's foolish, right? And here we're talking about a wonderful counselor, one who is wise. So the people were spiritually depressed. Now, as always, the people of God must decide what reading of their experiences they will live by. Are they to look at the darkness, the hopelessness, the dreams shattered, and conclude that God has forgotten them? Or are they to recall his past mercies, to, present, to, to remember his present promises, and make great affirmations of faith? Darkness is true but it is not the whole truth. My former pastor would always say about funerals that he hates it when people get to a funeral and say, we shouldn't be sad, we should be celebrating. No, we should be sad. That's a natural feeling. We should be mourning. Yes, there should be celebration, but we have to also look at the reality of the present circumstance. Amen? We don't ignore what we're going through. We don't live our life like Mario when he's blinking as if he is untouchable because we know that things happen in life. And we don't have this theology or this understanding of nothing is wrong with me and I'm just going to act like nothing is wrong. I remember growing up when I was sick, I would go to church and say, man, I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. And they would say, don't say that. Don't speak that over yourself. Woman, I am sick. I have a sore throat. Y'all saw me the other, way, other week when, my, when I had a sore throat. I was done. I was in the kitchen on my knees, laying on the stove, telling my wife, tell them they can have it all when I go away. I just thought I was about to, I'm serious. It was bad. I, I was sick. Don't tell me to act like nothing is wrong. So what does that mean for us? We absolutely recognize when things are going wrong in our life. And then right here in the scriptures, uh, we have com- uh, different stories. And I, and I believe that these stories aren't there just so we can see God flexing his, his power and his might and him being in control. This is absolutely the case, yes, but I also believe that these stories are in the scriptures for our personal edification. The last time uh, that I preached, I said that I love it how in the Psalms and in the Old Testament period, we see them recounting what God has done in the past because they are a people who are hopeless and they need hope. And sometimes the only thing that we can cling to are the things that God has already done. And this is the position that Israel or Judah is in at this time. That's the only thing that they have because it seems like God isn't speaking. It seems like God has abandoned them and it seems like God is not there. The only thing that they have is the things that God has done. 
It's actually part of, uh, of, of the title, Wonderful Counselor. So you're looking at the word wonderful within itself. It's talking about acts that have been done, that have been miraculous. So when we think about uh, them being at the Red Sea and them seeing no way out, but God parted the Red Sea, that's something that they're thinking back on. Thinking about the different times where they seemed to be, uh, where they were surrounded and they seemed to be um, without um, the hope of deliverance and God came through and delivered them. That's what they have to look back on, the things that happened beforehand. So what does that mean for us today? Here's the thing. There is no job, no position at your job, no person who is in clergy or who is at church or who has these wonderful positions that some of us envy and some of us covet. There is nothing that protects you from feeling hopeless and having moments of despair. See, one of the the dope things about the gospel is that it levels the playing field, right? This is something that we always say, but do we really get it, right? So there are some of you in here who are not necessarily worrying about where your next meal will come from, but you may be eyeing that person at the job who got a raise, and now you're coveting their position. And because of that, you're feeling hopeless. Or, Or because of that, you have feelings that you ought not be feeling towards them and feelings that are not godly feelings, See, the gospel levels the playing field, and with that comes certain feelings like hopelessness and despair that we all feel and that we're not protected uh, from having. Does that make sense? So, for example, money or lack thereof is an issue that we've all dealt with at some point in time. Various struggles in sin are issues that we've all dealt with at some point in time, maybe currently more than likely. The salvation of, the, of our loved ones, wanting them to, to, to come to the knowledge of truth and to put their hope in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's um, coming to a point to where they will make that decision. And now we're feeling hopeless because of that. We've all, at some point, felt those feelings. And if we haven't, then we should care about the souls of our loved ones. This is where we're reminded of the promises of God. So financial struggles, remembering that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. See, oftentimes we hear scriptures like this and we we say, yeah, we know, but. Yo, if it's a promise, it's a promise, right? And it's going to happen. And the promises of God are, and the promises of God are, yes, and There we go. And it's something that will happen even if it doesn't feel like it or even if it doesn't seem like it. The gospel says that uh, beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. So when it comes to your loved ones, share the gospel with them and trust God. When it comes to various sin struggles in your life, whether that's watching porn, whether that's sleeping with your girlfriend, sleeping with your boyfriend, thinking about people who you shouldn't be thinking about and you're just feeling despair and you're feeling hopeless and 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 you know that you made a profession of faith and you know what you believe but it doesn't seem to quite be matching up and you feel like God has let you go remember that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ 
Yesterday, my wife and I were doing, were doing our devotion, and it was super dope and encouraging. And I'm going to share that with you. The fact that we serve a redeemer who is dissatisfied. Now, that sounds terrible, right? All of us, in some kind of way, disappoint God on a regular basis, right? But the fact that we serve a dissatisfied redeemer is something that should be so encouraging, and I'll tell you why. This means that God will not give up on what he has invested in. This means that even when you feel like you've been cut off from God and, when you've been, and that you've been separated from God, God is saying, no, I got you. I won't throw you away just because you messed up. Sometimes when, when people pray, uh, we, of, we often in our prayers in, in Jesus' name, amen. Some people pray in their prayers with, for Jesus' sake, amen. Why? So that Jesus will get the glory from doing what he said that he will do. So if you're struggling with sin and and you feel hopeless and you feel that there is no way out and you feel that God has forgotten about you and has withdrawn his spirit from you, remember what God said. And remember that you serve a, a redeemer who is not satisfied because the work is not completely done. That's where we find our true hope. That God will not leave us. There's a song that says, I know you haven't brought me this far to lead me. Nobody told me the road would be easy, and I don't believe you brought me this far to lead me. Get my Mary Mary on this morning, amen? <laughs> but that's our hope. Now, I mean, how, how, how many times have we felt that God has forgot about us? All of us can relate to the people in this nation right now. All of us have, have gone through moments where we come to church, if we even come to church, with our heads hanging low because we feel that God has separated himself from us. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to encourage you with the fact that God will get a return on his investment. Amen? When it comes to, when it comes to uh, this, this prophecy here in Isaiah 9, and when it comes to this child here, there are, are different thoughts, uh, generally speaking, there are two different thoughts uh, by theologians in how they interpret this verse or this passage. The first is what's called a single fulfillment, meaning that this verse is only talking about Jesus and the person who is supposed to come. And um, I, yeah. <laughs> the second is a double fulfillment, meaning that this not only talks about Jesus, but talks about someone who would be born around this time. Someone who would completely slap Ahaz in the face being a wonderful counselor because Ahaz is a terrible counselor because he is not only bringing death upon himself, but he's causing uh, the destruction of those who are around him. I think that it's, um, I think it would be safe to hold to both of those, or either one of those rather, only if you understand that if it is talking about the coming Savior and it is talking about someone who is supposed to be born there, uh, the person who was born then could not do that on their own because there are clearly attributes in what's being said here that no human can, po- can possess. So, for example, mighty God, that ain't got nothing to do with us. We can't do nothing about that, right? Everlasting, uh, 
we're going to be gone in, you know, within 70, 80 years, right? That's nothing that we can do on our own. So I think that you'll be safe if you uh, believe either one of those. Now, since we believe that this person is Jesus and that Jesus is coming and that he's a wonderful counselor, what does that mean for us today? First, Christ being a wonderful counselor is only good news to those who realize and admit that they are in need of guidance. Jesus himself said, I did not come to save the righteous, but I came to save sinners. Can you imagine how many Pharisees and how many self-righteous people missed it because Jesus said that? Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. Can you imagine those who were too proud to say that they weren't righteous? See, if, 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 if this is going to be good news for us, then we have to take on the posture and the actions of true humility. I say true humility because there is something called false humility, which I hate. Oh, my goodness, I hate it. Just be, just be arrogant. I hate false humility. For example, I went to uh, see Jody's family for Thanksgiving. Yes, I'm about to talk about your cousin. <laughs> and the kids... <laughs> The kids, like, put on this show, so you had, like, all the kids dancing and stuff. Now, she has one cousin. He's a, he's a pretty good dancer. Like, uh, you know, he's a, he's a nice dancer. And so all the kids were dancing, and so they called on this one kid, and he said, oh, no, I can't dance. I can't dance. No. And I'm like, bruh, just dance. Like, yes, you can dance. But he had this, like, y'all, no, I can't dance. Really wanted attention for himself, but it was false humility. If we're going to see Jesus as a, a, a wonderful counselor, then we have to have true humility and take, the posture of, uh, and take that posture and say, I don't know it all. There are some areas in life that I need help with. I, I think of a line, uh, well, first, I think that um, even in Christ, even those who trust in Christ for salvation, I think even Christians are foolish at times. But those who don't trust in Christ, according to the scriptures, are just fools. And, and I don't mean this in a way to insult one, but what I'm saying is that it's clear in the scriptures that we must put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we make no apologies about that, right? So first off, if he's going to be a good guidance, or, or guidance counselor, geez, a wonderful counselor, we must uh, take the posture of humility. Secondly, we must recognize that Jesus will always make better decisions for us than we would for ourselves. Think about the interaction that Jesus had with Peter. And Jesus said, I'm about to go away. I'm about to get killed. And Peter said, no, I will not stand for it. I will not have it happen to you. And Jesus said, you are the devil. <laughs> he said, get away from me, Satan, because Peter wanted to protect his friend, which is weird because later on we saw that he denied him and all that other kind of stuff. It's a whole bunch of talk. But he naturally wanted to protect his friend. And Jesus said, you don't understand what you're saying right now, because if this doesn't happen to me, then there is no hope for you to have eternal life. Jesus will always make better decisions for us than we would for ourselves. We don't hope in ourselves. We know what we can do. 
We know how many times we fail. We know how many times we dropped the ball. We know how many times we said, God, if you just get me out of this, I will not do it again. And three days later, what are we doing again? <laughs> we know ourselves. We, we, we don't put any hope within ourselves. We put our hope in Jesus. We recognize that a good counselor is not only one that makes plans, but one who fulfills them as well. Going back to our text today, when Syria and um, Israel were wanting to um, attack Judah, this is the plan that they had. They said, we're going to attack them, we're going to conquer them, and then we're going to put a king over Judah. And that didn't happen. Why did that not happen? Because the king for, for, for Judah had to be one who was in David's line. It had to be in his royal line. So even though Ahaz messed up, even though he dropped the ball, he was still in his line. And, and God, in his promise to David, says that there will always be someone who is your descendant on this throne. And ultimately, that person, of course, became Jesus. So God always, 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 Christ always fulfills what he has planned. Going back to what we said earlier, he began a good work in you and he will complete it. God will stay true to his promises through Christ. Amen? What was the need of Christ? Just in case you don't see it. There were different kings during this time. It was a lot of terrible kings that Israel had. I think it was about four good ones, Hezekiah being one of them, Ahaz his son. Here's the thing. Consistent failure, consistent failure of earthly kings means that only a divine intervener could rectify the disorders that sin created. So even... We're even think, thinking about the good kings, even thinking about David, even thinking about Hezekiah. There is nothing that they could ultimately do for us. Yes, they could rule well, and yes, they could have a good reign, but ultimately there is nothing that they could do for our souls. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, is the only one who is able to do that. In John's gospel, in the 12th verse, in, in verse 41, he says that Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of Jesus and he spoke of him. Isaiah uh, was an amazing guy. The book of Isaiah is an amazing book. That, and you read Isaiah 53, it's absolutely mind-blowing talking about Jesus and everything that he was to accomplish and everything, of course, that he did accomplish. As we think about the, uh, the following weeks, I want to leave with this thought. The decisions of a king can make or break a kingdom, and a kingdom designed to be everlasting demands a wisdom like that of a mighty and everlasting God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time today. Thank you uh, for being a counselor who is wonderful. Thank you for being um, one who has done wondrous works. Namely, in saving us and taking us from darkness into the marvelous light. Thank you for uh, rescuing us. Thank you for transforming our heart of stone and giving us 
a heart of flesh. God, I pray that as we continue on through this week and as we continue on through this month and through this Christmas season, that we won't forget your birth, that we won't forget the reason that you came here, that we won't forget the fact that you are indeed a wonderful counselor, not one to be ignored, but one to be honored, honored and uh, reverenced. God, I pray that we will not find hope in ourselves, but I pray that we will find hope in you. Yes, son, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.